The COVID-19 pandemic has changed life for all of us. But even before this, we were already fighting an epidemic, the battle against chronic disease. And those with chronic diseases are at highest risk of contracting severe coronavirus infections. So how do we protect ourselves during these uncertain times? But more importantly, how do we view health? Welcome to the Glass Half Healthy Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jonar, a board certified physician in internal medicine and lifestyle medicine. In this podcast, I want to address the current crisis of chronic disease and to challenge conventional attitudes towards health. We'll be exploring these issues with thought-provoking guests to help redefine what health should mean for all of us. I hope to inspire you to take action towards a happier, thriving life because good health comes to those who expect it. What is up, everyone? I am your host, Dr. Jonar, and this is my podcast, The Glass Half Healthy. It's been almost three months since launch day, and for our first-time listeners, welcome to my podcast, which ranked in the top 200 podcasts in the U.S. for health and fitness in its first week. And over the past couple of months, it has managed to stay in the top 500 in that same category to date. Also, as I mentioned recently on my social media pages in the last episode, I made it on the Board Vitals list of the top 50 doctors on Instagram to follow in 2020. I'm really blown away by how much we've done in such a short period of time. So thank you all, including those tuning in for the first time. But I'm always striving to do even better. So if you have any suggestions on topics you wanna hear or on how we can improve, hit me up at drjonar at gmail.com or direct message me on my social accounts, which you can find those links to in our show notes. Looking forward to hearing from you. Okay, today is episode number 15. It's titled, Your Health Rests on Sleep with one of my launch day guests. Very happy to have back on the pod, Dr. Andrea Matsumura, MD, here to talk to us about sleep. But before we get to that, a word from our sponsor. This episode of The Glass Half Healthy is brought to you by sleep. You need it, but you probably don't get enough of it. Sleep is not only important for learning and memory, but it is vital to the immune system, mental health, maintaining weight, and so much more. Sleep, you could do it with your eyes closed. Get it at your nearest bed or couch. All right, back to the pod. How do you view sleep? Important? No? A nuisance? A waste of time? What if I told you the key ingredient to all the different aspects of your health is sleep? Well, Dr. Andrea Matsumura, MD, a board-certified internal medicine physician and sleep medicine specialist, is here today to tell us why. She worked as a hospitalist, then transitioned to clinic work, where she sparked her love for sleep as an integral part of overall health. Now, after being fellowship trained in sleep medicine, Dr. Matsumura describes herself as a holistic sleep medicine doctor and emphasizes to her patients the importance of sleep as a key piece to wellness. So personally, out of all aspects of my health that I focus on, from nutrition to exercise to stress reduction and sleep, honestly, sleep has been the most elusive for me. As part of my career as a doctor and current work schedule as a hospitalist, in which I occasionally have to do nights, 
I've had to frequently adjust my sleep schedule over the years. And now being a parent to a toddler, the past couple of years have not helped to maintain a regular sleep schedule. And then from a public perspective, you hear common sayings like, sleep is for the weak, or I'll sleep when I'm dead. It's almost a badge of honor to get less sleep. And this attitude is fairly pervasive in our culture. And as a result, many of us are sleep deprived. So during our discussion, Dr. Matsumura discusses the common problems surrounding sleep issues in our society. And these common sleep problems have a profound effect on all aspects of our health. From the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System Survey conducted by the CDC back in 2014, short sleepers, which were defined by less than seven hours of sleep in a 24-hour period, were more likely to report being obese, physically inactive, and current smokers compared to those who received seven hours or more of sleep. Also, short sleepers were more likely to report at least one out of 10 of the most common chronic conditions compared to those with seven hours or more of sleep. So as you will hear, Dr. Matsumura goes into more depth on how sleep or lack thereof can influence chronic disease in general, but has profound effects on your immune system, which is so important during this current pandemic and on your mental health and on your weight. She helps to define sleep hygiene and discusses how things like food, caffeine, alcohol, exercise, and even electronic devices like smartphones can impact your sleep. My talk with Dr. Matsumura inspired me to get better sleep, and I hope she does the same for you after you listen to our talk. So let's get to it and enter the pod with Dr. Andrea Matsumura. All right, thanks for coming back on the show. So you may remember her from our last episode during the launch series on her answer to the question about defining health. So great to have you back here again. Thanks for having me again. Of course, of course. So, you know, we share some things in common. We're both internal medicine specialists and we've, we've worked as hospitalists as well, but you have a unique situation in which you worked in the outpatient setting as a primary care doctor and then discovered sleep medicine. So take us back to that time. What sparked your interest in sleep? Well, you know, as you know, being an internal medicine doc, you're juggling all of these chronic medical conditions. And oftentimes I would have patients who were really struggling trying to figure out how to help themselves with controlling their diabetes or why did they suddenly have an irregular heart rhythm like atrial fibrillation. And a lot of times what was not discovered was the fact that they had either too little sleep or the quality of their sleep was really poor. And once we were able to figure out that sleep was missing in their life, suddenly some of these chronic medical conditions were easier to manage. Mm. And I started to see this pattern emerge and realized that sleep is the undiscovered vital sign when you go see the doctor. And oftentimes it is something that is said as the doctor's walking out of the exam room. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm not sleeping. And so then the tendency is for providers, for physicians to prescribe a sleep aid because, you know, they want to help the person when in fact sleep deserves its own office visit. It deserves its own appointment because so much hinges on sleep. So, right. you know, that's how I kind of came to the realization that 
I thought I could make a bigger impact if I went back, did a fellowship in sleep medicine and really focused on sleep medicine and give back to my primary care community and patients. That's fantastic. I mean, I think it's something that is often overlooked. I mean, not just by physicians, but people in general, you know, like I feel like there is such a huge sleep deprivation in our current society. So it's awesome that you're doing that. So you've described yourself as a holistic sleep medicine physician. So what does that mean in practice? So, you know, I, I kind of came to that recently and it's because what I try to do when I see patients is I try to be the person that coordinates all the other aspects of their life. And what I often say to people is sleep is the juggernaut for everything else in your life. So for your immune system to optimally be working to protect you, you need to have enough sleep and it has to be good quality sleep. For you to control all these chronic medical conditions, for you to reduce pain, for you to feel like your mental health is as optimal as you can get it to help with weight control. Right. So all you know, I was going to, I was going to just chime in real quick. That weight yeah. is huge, right? Yes. Because you could be exercising all you want and trying to lose the weight by eating healthier. But what happens when you're only sleeping like less than seven, six hours a night? What right. ends up happening, right? So, yeah. So, you know, our hunger cues and our, and our satiety cues when we feel full, they're out of sync. And uh, there is a tendency then for us to actually reach for fattier, unhealthy foods when we're chronically sleep deprived because that's fuel to keep you awake. Right. And so it's not made up. There's actually a metabolic process that's driving you to make more unhealthy decisions. <laughs> it, it's so funny you say all those things because all I could think back to was like time on residency when I was up in the middle of the night admitting patients and I'm like, I want something fatty. I want like fast food, you know, and it, I mean, this is exactly what you're talking about. So this isn't made up stuff. This is real biology happening in your body. That's right. That's right. And so every single cell has its own circadian rhythm. And if we are not sleeping enough, my analogy is that your heart and lungs are kind of like the anchor stores of a big mall. And mm -hmm. if the anchor stores aren't allowed to rest or close sometimes, then the little boutiques never get to open. I like that analogy. And so I like that analogy. That's great. <laughs> so that means that there's an imbalance then of your ghrelin and your leptin and then the other whole host of, of other types of hormones that are controlling your hunger and your satiety. And so you won't get very far or you'll have a really tough time being successful if you're chronically sleep deprived. And we live in a chronically sleep deprived society. Right. So it's a public health issue. Right. Most definitely. So, you know, in your practice, what would you say are the most common problems with patients who come with sleep deficits or sleep issues? The number one diagnosis is sleep insufficiency. It is not sleep Interesting. apnea. Interesting. So sleep insufficiency is the number one diagnosis. Now you could have sleep insufficiency, not getting enough sleep because you have sleep apnea. But more often than not, a lot of people suffer from insomnia or 
they just don't realize the importance and they try to cram too much stuff in one day and it's societal norm to sleep six hours and people will say well i've gotten by doing that for so long but your body can only handle that for so many years before it starts telling you in other ways that that's not really good for you right so yeah i mean that touches on the next question I was going to actually ask you, this quantity of sleep, what is the average amount of sleep some you know person needs to optimize their health? Like what have you found? What have studies shown? Yeah. So the studies have shown that anywhere between seven and nine hours is the optimal range for sleep. And you kind of know who you are if you're intuitive to your sleep. So some people know I am a nine hour person. I absolutely need to have nine hours of sleep. Other people know that they can get away with seven, seven and a half hours of sleep. So sleeping less is not good for you and sleeping too much is not good for you. Right. And so how about for like daytime naps? So do you recommend that all? Is that even, (laughs) is that helpful for people? Just because I know that, you know, some people are big proponents of it, others not at all. So what has been your experience and what you've seen through the literature studying on this stuff? Well, so napping too long and too much just reduces your drive for sleep at night or whenever your night is because some people are night shift workers. So whenever you begin to sleep for a length of time, if you took a big nap, you're going to have less drive to actually get this consolidated sleep that you need in one period of time. So I think naps are okay. I don't necessarily think that they are absolutely, you have to have one a day. I don't think it really Mm. enhances. If you're getting enough sleep, consolidated sleep, in one period of time, you shouldn't really need to have to take a nap during the day. I see. If you did though, how long would you say would be like an appropriate- 20 minutes. 20 minutes, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I wouldn't give yourself any longer than 20 minutes because when you sleep too long, then you potentially- inhibit that drive to fall asleep when you're ready for bed. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's good for a lot of people to know, including myself when I'm not working. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing is we have a two-year-old, so Mm -hmm. he is mostly sleep trained, but you know, sometimes like for example, last night he woke up in the middle of the night. So it kind of disrupts everyone's sleep quality, you know, but that's expected as a new parent, you know, so we just try to fight through it. But I'll get my 20 minutes nap in later on today. (laughs) Yeah, and it can be quite refreshing 20 minutes. And sometimes if you take too long of a nap, you don't feel good. You feel groggy. You don't feel like there's something to be said for that, what we call power naps. But Mm -hmm. that that should not be a substitute for not getting enough sleep at night. Now, just what you described, sometimes you can't help it. You've got kids, uh, especially if they're not great sleepers. So then that's a different scenario where you probably need to take the opportunity to maybe sleep when they're sleeping, if you can, Mm -hmm. especially when they're infants. Right. But by and large, people shouldn't really be napping all that much. And a lot of times people will say, well, you know, in certain societies, they condone napping. Napping is a way of life for people Mm -hmm. in that society. And my theory is that, and there's no evidence behind this, My theory is that if you go and you visit those countries that tend to have naps or breaks in the middle of their day, they also are getting up a lot later 
and they're mm-hmm. starting their night a lot later. And so their sleep is different. And what I found, I was in Portugal recently, not recently during COVID, but a year ago. (laughs) And what I found is that, you know, people are eating at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, going to bed at 12 or one or two. But the work environment starts relatively early still. So people are still having to get up to travel to work by seven o'clock by, you know, Mm. and so they're really not getting enough consolidated sleep. So then there's this afternoon lull where everybody kind of takes a little, a little nap. So their society is running differently. Now it'd be interesting to see if there's any change in longevity because, right. Cause they're breaking their sleep up more versus other societies where you're consolidating all of your sleep at one time. I see. I see. So, I mean, that kind of touches on the the aspect of quality of sleep, right? So let's talk about that for a little bit in sure. the term sleep hygiene, because there might be some listeners who have never even heard what that means. So for those out there that don't know, what is that term? What does that describe? Yeah. So sleep hygiene is just a fancy phrase for how do I prepare myself for sleep? How do I wind down? And what does my environment look like to prepare my brain for sleep? And so what that really means is, is your room dark, cool, quiet? It should be dark, cool, and quiet because that's the optimal setting to allow your brain to fall asleep. If you've got a lot of noise, if you've got electronics in your bed, those are all things that confuse your brain and tell your brain that it's not time to wind down and shut down for sleep. So people shouldn't have televisions in their room. They should really make a habit of removing all electronics out of their room. And the people really should stop using their electronic devices an hour before they go to bed. And all of those e-readers, all of the, like the nightshade or whatever the program is for, I'm forgetting the name, like on your phones, they work to a certain extent, but they don't work 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all these efforts that are being made to try to reduce the light that's shining into your eye, they all help somewhat. But in truth, it, you really just have to remove yourself from electronics an hour before bed. And then the other piece is, you know, how do you also help yourself say it's the end of the day? I need to stop thinking about things. I need to stop worrying. So a lot of people bring their worries into bed with them mm-hmm. and, and then they can't shut their brain off. So sleep hygiene is just preparing yourself. Like if you know that exercise is stimulating to you, then don't exercise an hour before you go to bed. Right. If you know that eating a heavy meal causes you to, you know, stay awake, then don't eat a heavy meal. There's nothing that says you mustn't eat a heavy meal right before bed or you mustn't exercise. We used to think that. But the latest literature is stating that for some people, it's relaxing. So some people love to exercise. It relaxes them and then they go to sleep. It's learning how to be more intuitive, like listening to your body. What works for me to help me get ready for bed? Right, right. So just to cap that off, it, it just depends on the type of person you are, whether or not that specific activity is stimulating for you versus putting you at ease or your mind at rest. Yeah. So there are some absolutes, like don't have electronics in the room, don't have lights on in the room. Those are all stimulating to your brain. 
have it quiet, that's stimulating to your brain. Have it cool because we tend to run hot during our sleep time. Our temperature fluctuates by a degree only, but people tend to get hot in their sleep. So there are some things that are absolutes, you know, just have a nice relaxing atmosphere for your bedroom. Right. So then let me ask you about this though, because you were, you were mentioning, you know, if eating not right before bed, but you know, maybe a couple hours before bed is okay for certain people. How about for some people that it's not like, for example, someone who has, let's say acid reflux or some other condition that might not be good to eat food like a couple hours before bed. What do you recommend to those people? Well, then you basically need to modify, like then obviously you don't want to eat two hours before bed. You want to make sure that you're eating, giving yourself enough time to digest your food. And also reflux is, uh, if you have bad nocturnal reflux or reflux in your sleep and you're taking medication for it or Mm -hmm. not, that Mm -hmm. could be an indirect sign that you may have sleep disordered breathing. Mm. I see. So reflux is worse in the setting of untreated sleep apnea. Okay. So if someone is experiencing that for an extended period of time, they probably should go see their primary doctor about it or like a sleep specialist, right? And at least get screened. Are you having other sleep symptoms, you know, symptoms around sleep? Or is it just isolated reflux? So because everything works together in the body. Right. So then I guess for just in general, foods and nutrition that are beneficial for getting better sleep, are there specific foods that are linked to like, you know, for example, like eating maybe a a carb heavy diet for dinner would help you to, to go to sleep better? Like, has there been any data out there to support a specific type of food? No, there's nothing that substantiates with strong evidence that a particular type of whether it's, you know, one of your three macros, whether or not it's protein, Mm -hmm. carb, or fat is going to help people get to sleep more easily. I think everybody just has to know what works for them. I see. And what to avoid. Some people need to avoid eating late at night. Right. And, you know, other things like don't drink too much alcohol before bed. Yeah, that's a big thing, right? So like, you know, people drinking at night, let's say they go out or like, you know, they're at home with their their significant other drinking wine. So like, does that help? Because I know that some people actually have used this. Like when, for example, I remember back when I was in college, there was this guy that I was friends with who he would literally drink like, you know, maybe a small ounce of like hard liquor to just go to bed. I'm like, why do you do that? And he's like, well, you know, my mind, I feel like it races a lot and that just helps me to go to sleep. But I, you know, thinking back in my mind, is that really... Is that healthy to do? So like, what's your take on all of this? So alcohol being used as a sleep aid is just a poor decision because (laughs) really, honestly, you're just using it because you're having trouble getting to sleep. So Mm -hmm. that's not a reason to drink alcohol. Alcohol is, you know, it's great when you're socializing it. For some people, it tastes good or they like it with their dinner. And you know, as people get close to their bedtime, if they're drinking too much, alcohol can actually have a stimulatory effect because of its half-life. So Mm, around, mm -hmm. you know, four to six hours after you drink, then that's when it becomes stimulatory. So that's why when people tend to drink a little too much, they'll have these middle of the night awakenings. Mm. Also, if you drink too much, then you also are depriving yourself of REM sleep because you're 
brain doesn't mm -hmm. get into the right stages of sleep when you drink too much. I see. I see. So kind of goes back to everything in moderation, following what the recommended, you know, level of alcohol you should be drinking most sure. of the time. Obviously, there are those rare occasions when people indulge, you're having a nice meal or you're on a vacation. There's those opportunities. But for the most part, daily, you shouldn't really be drinking, you know, for men, to, you know, right, or you should bed. not be drinking to go to bed and you shouldn't right. be drinking more than what the moderation is. Right, right. And then like in terms of like hours before you go to bed, if you're, you are drinking in moderation, is there, you know, like a specific window? Should you do it like, you know, four hours or six hours before you're planning on going to sleep? Some people are very sensitive to alcohol intake and will come in and tell me that, you know, we kind of peel back the layers of the onion and realize, well, every time they drink, they're waking up in the middle of the night. So that's pretty simple. Actually, you just say, okay, stop drinking. The right. right two hours before you go to bed make sure that you if you're going to drink you know the cutoff should be you know six hours before bedtime because it's causing you to have middle of the night awakenings all the time other people it doesn't bother them they can have a glass or two of wine you know a couple hours before bed and they're fine right well yeah i mean i guess it just keeps on going back to that theme of like knowing your body but also doing things in moderation right mm -hmm. so and then other beverages, how about caffeine? Because I know it's interesting, there's some people that will avoid it like the plague, noon yeah. or afternoon time. But yeah. there, I know other people that are like, I just need like a cup of coffee before I go to bed. I'm like thinking to myself, what? That doesn't make any sense to me either. So we, we, <laughs> let's dispel some of this, yes. these myths. So, so drinking so caffeine. Is, yeah, that's very different. Okay, yeah. because caffeine does two things in your brain. It has an alerting effect and a stimulatory effect. Mm -hmm. So it actually has receptors that it's binding to in your brain. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then there is a chemical that we accumulate in our brain called adenosine, which is the byproduct. It's kind of the waste product that gets accumulated in your brain. And that's what makes us sleepy. And caffeine mm. is directly antagonistic to adenosine. I so see. that's why it is alerting. So when people feel sleepy, and they drink caffeine, they feel more alert because it's now binding to those receptors that adenosine would be binding to. So Interesting. it makes you more yeah, alert. Makes, right. But then there are also caffeine receptors in the brain, and that's stimulating your brain. So there are studies that show that when people drink caffeine too close to bedtime, it's half-life is six hours. So you really want to stop drinking all caffeinated beverages six hours before bed but there are good studies that show that it reduces your total sleep time by about 30 minutes because it's so stimulating. And my theory, that's just anecdotal, but my theory is that when people come and see me and they say, oh, I can have a whole cup of coffee and go right to sleep, they're just chronically sleep deprived because you can, mm -hmm. you can go to right. sleep at any right. time. You can sleep. <laughs> exactly. You can fall asleep even during the day, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So when people say that, and then I ask them, well, I, you know, I ask a lot of questions around sleep time. Invariably, they're not getting enough sleep. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so then how about like other activities to help with sleeping better? What are some of those activities that people can do to increase the quality of their sleep? So some of the things that you can do is, you know, learning some relaxation techniques to help 
reduce any anxiety around sleep. It's kind of just going back to knowing what works for you. Like if you know that eating a heavy meal, what we were talking about, causes you to stay awake, don't do that. Some people need to exercise right before bed. That's fine. Smoking. Smoking is alerting. If you have the misfortune of having to be addicted to tobacco, absolutely do not smoke before bed. And don't get up in the middle of the night and smoke a cigarette because it's alerting. Mm. It's alerting Mm -hmm. your brain. So, you know, I think just really listening to your body when you need to go to sleep. That's the other thing. Don't push your bedtime too late. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, you brought it up earlier. There's this epidemic we're going through with sleep deprivation in our society. And I feel like part of it might be this cultural trend that, you know, lack of sleep is is kind of like badge of honor. You know, we see it a lot of times with entrepreneurs that, you know, they sleep so little, like three, four hours, but they've been able to get so much done. What do you say to those people that think they don't need adequate sleep? I say that that's a perverse incentive. Basically, that's (laughs) that's just fallacy. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we can train our brains into thinking just about anything that we want, if we want to believe that we don't need a lot of sleep or that we don't need more than five hours of sleep. And, you know, a lot of it is your, you know, people's perception thinking that they don't need sleep when in fact they actually do need that sleep. And so I use myself as an example. I mean, having been through residency and then work and then having kids, I have teenagers now. When Mm -hmm. I finally was able to get enough sleep, I'll never go back to sleeping five or six hours ever, ever again. Because when you give yourself the gift of sleep and you stick to it and you get enough sleep, you'll realize just how much you are compensating. Wow. Let me ask you, if you don't mind answering, how much sleep do you usually get at night now? I usually get seven and a half to eight hours of sleep. Wow. So, okay, you're a busy physician. You're also a mom and you're getting at least seven and a half hours of sleep a night. Absolutely. That's amazing. On the rare occasion when I don't and I push myself too hard, I definitely feel it the next day. Right. You know, I think it's something that everyone can work on, including myself. And granted, yes, there's this external factor, which is our baby. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I love this subject because so many people could benefit from just sleeping a little bit more than they normally do, you know? And also what people don't realize, there are studies that show that your reaction time is slower when you're chronically sleep deprived. And so people think that they can cram more into a day and sleep less and that it all works out. But there are studies that show that if you actually get the amount of sleep that you need, you're more efficient during the day and you get just as much done. Interesting. So choose sleep. That's the bottom line, right? Choose Choose more sleep. (laughs) Okay, great. Where can people find you online? So I have a Facebook group called Sleep Well with Andrea Matsumura, MD. Right now, I'm also working on a website, but that's still in development. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for this very important talk on sleep. You know, I'm going to make it my goal to try to sleep at least seven and a half hours a night. (laughs) I mean, I think out of all the things that, you know, I... I espouse to do sleep is probably the one that is, you know, kind of takes a hit to everything else. And, you know, even knowing the data, 
having talked to you too, I know that, you know, personally, I should be reaching that goal every night to main, maintain my efficiency with, you know, my responsibilities at work, but also with like, you know, my family duties and spending time with, with my son. But like, this has been an awesome talk. So thank you very much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Okay. We'll see right. you soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye. All right. So what did you think? How insightful is Dr. Matsumura? I hope our talk helped to emphasize sleep as your missing link to better health. And as you get more sleep, you'll realize you have more energy and can actually be more efficient throughout your day. So if you want to reach out to me about this or other topics, I would really love to hear from you. So hit me up on my email, drjonar at gmail.com or on my social media accounts. Also, please let Dr. Matsumura know on her social accounts what you thought about this talk. You can find all these links in our show notes. I'm really grateful for having Dr. Matsumura on the show. And as always, so grateful to you for tuning in to hear our talk. So if you like what you heard, please subscribe, like, and review my podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with your family, friends, and online. Because remember, sharing is caring. Thanks again to the wonderful and smart Amelia Liu, my intern, to Jacob Ferrer for production help, and to Stock Sounds for the music. And lastly, to you. Thank you again for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode with Heather Larican Rahino, a clean eating blogger, nutrition and culinary educator, healthy private chef, and fitness instructor who will talk to me about her journey through addiction recovery. Remember, your state of health starts with your state of mind. So till next time, enjoy the process, my friends. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice, so please talk to your primary physician for that. In addition, the views and opinions expressed by me are my own and not that of my former, current, or future employer. This also applies to my guests. Finally, we do our best to make every effort to relay correct information. We do not guarantee its accuracy. Thank you for listening.